Welcome to The Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 87, Interview with David C. Smalley, Part 1. On January 6th of this year, David C. Smalley, comedian, podcaster, actor, and, I think, comedy writer, interviewed us for his podcast, publishing it on January 8th. I found David intelligent, engaging, and I enjoyed our conversation very much. We've divided it into two parts. Listen to Jenny and I discussing this first part on Thursday's No Compromise, and then the second part next week, followed by another edition of No Compromise. I would ask our believing listeners for your prayers on an upcoming opportunity. As a final note before beginning, our friend Raymond Mulholland interviewed with David this week, and he's pretty quick about posting, so be sure to check out Ray's interview on the David C. Smalley podcast. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. Hey, I'm Adam Carolla. Hi, my name is Penn Gillette. Not only listening, I'm the guest. I'm a Penn and Teller, and I am the fourth listener. And I am the fourth listener. And that must make me at least the fourth listener. To keep our three listeners coming back, we must be doing something right. And if you're the fourth listener, we thank you for the support. You can get every episode with no ads at patreon.com slash David C. Smalley and take advantage of your fourth listener status. And we're going to sue David Smalley for slander. With a world divided, it's time to resurrect nuance and remember the importance of conversation. He's an actor, he's a comedian, and he'll make you think. This is David C. Smalley. Thank you so much for joining me today. This one, we're back to our roots. People have been asking for a while. We're going to have another uh, believer on the show. Well, today's the day just for you. If you are also interested in that uh, comedy portion of my life, davidcsmalley.com slash tickets is where you can come see me do stand-up. I am at the Hollywood Improv. I'm at the Comedy Store all month this month, different dates, different times. davidcsmalley.com slash tickets is where you can grab tickets right now. And I even have a show on my birthday, uh, January 10th, with uh, Madison Sinclair, Matt Reif, and a bunch of other beautiful people. I think I must have been the diversity hire there. Uh, Zainab, I mean, that, that entire lineup looks like a group of supermodels. And then they went, you know what? We should even this out a little bit. <laughs> Where's that David C. Smalley guy? So that's what I'm looking forward to. That's going to be at the Hollywood Improv in the main room, uh, January 10th. And then I've got another show in that same location, January 30th with Dane Cook, uh, and Ian Edwards and a couple of more superstars. And I'm having a blast out here doing that. I'm at the comedy store January 23rd, but the tickets, like I said, David C. Smalley.com. Thank you so much for joining me today. I got an interesting email the other day. Someone reached out and said, hey, uh, I'm a former atheist professor of philosophy, and I'm now a Christian. And it did not take me long to reply to that. I immediately wanted to talk to this person. As most of you know, I've kind of done a little bit of a shift with my format here. Uh, and I, he, he the, my guest today is not aware of the shift, so to be fair to him, I'm going to bring him on, do an introduction, and explain to him what some of you may already know. 
but here he is. My uh, my guest today is a former atheist professor of philosophy, now Christian, and hosts a podcast titled The Christian Atheist. Join me in welcoming John Wise to the show. John, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, David. Appreciate your uh, allowing me to come on and speak with you. Hey, I thank you for reaching out. Um, I've I said when, right before we started that not a lot of people have reached out to be on the show recently, and I couldn't really figure out why. Like I've had this show for about twelve years. I guess we're actually is this thirteen years now? Yeah, we started yeah. January twenty ten. So this this is the this is twenty this is yeah twenty yeah. Yeah, 13. All right. I've said 12 years for an entire year, I guess. So yeah, here we are at at, uh, at 13 years. Wow. When did podcasting begin? Actually, uh, so the word was invented in 2004. Okay. Um, I actually had a show in 2003. Wow. But right. it was internet radio that you could listen to later in archives. So there was no word for it yet. There was no such thing as an RSS feed yet. And... Um, yeah, I just had an internet radio show. It was, a, it was a comedy show, and it was just me and another comedian. And then there was a rapper on the, on the, on the, as a, one of our co-hosts, and we just had a, we just had a blast, like listening to new unsigned hip hop artists and up and coming stand up comedians, and we would roast them or give them an opportunity to you know showcase their talents. And a year after I started that show, there was a thing called Podcast Invented, and we were like, oh wait, that's what we've already been doing for a year. Um, internet radio that you could listen to later. And then that shut down around 2005. And then I relaunched my show in 2010 with this mindset of, uh, I guess, this idea of speaking with people who may disagree with me, but doing so in a, in a respectful way. Well, you were um, way ahead of the curve. I was. I was. I wouldn't want to start a new one today. Uh, it's, <laughs> the, the market is so oversaturated. So I don't know how long. How long have you had your, your podcast, The Christian Atheist? We started on YouTube in 2019, um, but we didn't actually start podcasting with an RSS feed until 2021. So we've oh, had wow. it for, what, two seasons now. Okay. Now. Okay. Well, that's cool. Are you ready to pull all of your hair out yet? How's it going? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite harrowing for sure because we do um, one Christian atheist episode a week. And, uh, and we also do um, a subsidiary podcast called uh, no compromise with my, in which my wife and I talk about things. Um, and then we have a third podcast that, uh, is called simple gifts in which I do readings of classic literature from the ages. Okay. What's that? Oh, well, no, I'm yeah, just, okay. no that's... Commentary. that's just, that's just straight literary, literary stuff for people who want to learn. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's really, a, I feel, I feel very fortunate that I was able to, to, to find something um, that I, I connected with enough people on and enough subscribers and enough supporters on Patreon to be able to do this full time. And that allowed me to then branch out and do more stand-up comedy, take on acting roles, take time off to audition. And if I need, you know, three weeks off to go film in Denver, I can just record a few episodes or my, my listeners will just wait three weeks for an episode. Uh, it's really cool to have that freedom. So I'm, I'm forever indebted and thankful to, to the, to the patrons of this show for making my life possible and allowing me to, to engage in these kinds of conversations. So I really hope if you're not to that point yet, that you do get to that point. Cause it's, it's a very rewarding uh, career, even if it is harrowing, as you said, <laughs> it's fun. I really do enjoy it. It forces you to think about things very carefully. 
um, and yet within a, a deadline. So you can't do what I normally do is keep pushing things off and take like five years to write <laughs> my dissertation instead of yep. three years. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah, totally. Uh, that's cool. So um, let me give you a little bit of background on this show. Uh, because my, my listeners, the, the ones that have stuck with me for a long time are, are, have started to see a shift and, and, and I don't want you to feel blindsided or victimized here, but I, I want you to know kind of where I am. So originally this show started, it, it was a, actually a blog in 2008. So two years prior to me relaunching an actual podcast version, I was doing a blog in which I was, I would post sort of my take on something Christian based, a Bible verse or something like that. And the idea was people to come there and disagree and to have like to sort of break down whatever topic this was and, and have cordial disagreements. And anytime someone would get nasty or mean or insulting, rather than deleting the comment and blocking the person, I would say, do you think that is a productive way to respond to someone who opposes you? Don't you want to change their mind? And eventually that caught on as, wait a minute, I can come here and say things that that uh, people disagree with. And if I get insulted, the person who's doing the insulting will ultimately look like the jackass and and either apologize or go away on their own. And so I sort of helped build this community of of people that that were being uh, that that were that were I guess willing to say their views and yes. and then deal with the consequences of that as long as those consequences were fact based and not character attacks, right? And so when the show started as an actual audio podcast, uh, that's what I would do. I would invite pastors and preachers and and hardcore believers into the studio, and we would have two, three, sometimes five hour marathon discussions about about faith. And that's what I did for the last twelve years. And I don't know what happened, but over the last, I guess, three to four years, honestly, around twenty sixteen, the Trump era, if you will. The people that started coming on that were conservative or on the right or or fundamentalist just seemed to get nastier and nastier. It seemed like uh, Trump had kind of opened this door to just, I guess, this uh, fire hosing nonsense as disguised as a discussion. And people would come on and say things that were just horrific. And I found myself trying to maintain that olive branch. Oh, you realize how that could upset people. And you know that that hurts people's feelings when you say that. And I was trying to pay, play camp counselor. And I just, I'm, I'm, I found myself exhausted after, after every episode going, I am sick of this. If you come on my show and think you're going to justify slavery somehow because God said it, therefore it must be good. We're not the same. We do not share the same morality. And so while I didn't go off and be this nasty, mean atheist who, who got really nasty with people, I, I have uh, started to run out of patience with people uh, because 12 years of hearing horrific uh, explanations for abhorrent behavior uh, has just started to wear on me. So um, here lately, I've, I've started to take more of the comedic route and I haven't published any of these yet. But I'm taking some of my very early, early episodes, like 10, 12, maybe even 13 years ago, and replaying a portion of that episode and then telling you what I was really thinking. Uh, I didn't say this out loud. Here's what I said, but here's what was going through my mind at the moment, but I didn't want to ruin the conversation. And maybe taking more of a... Theater? 
Yeah, sort of like a mystery <laughs> science theater of my own show. Yeah. So, uh, but I do still want to mix in the occasional conversation like this. Uh, but I wanted you to know that's where I stand right now. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I've, I guess I've just become exhausted in this Trump world of nastiness. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. I've had lots of conversations online, and and I, you know, you've heard of uh, Michael Wiseman. Um, I went on his show and we had a blast. So yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. I, I, um, I, I, having, having been an atheist for um, half of my life, um, I certainly am aware of the positions still have sympathy for them, many of them um, and uh, still think it's a rational viewpoint. Hmm. So um, yeah, I don't think you'll find anything nasty here. At least awesome. I hope not. Fantastic. Okay. So let's, let's get into your background. So um Former atheist professor of philosophy. So were you raised as an atheist? No, I was raised as a Christian. I actually went to Bible college. And um, by the time I graduated from Bible college, I was an agnostic. Um, so I was going to be a pastor. That was my idea. And by the time I graduated, I had thought to myself, wait a second. This feels like I'm trying to convince myself of something that um, I have no good reason to believe. Okay. And so um by the I, obviously as an agnostic it wasn't a good uh, a good uh, choice of um uh, of occupations to seek to be a pastor. <laughs> so I pursued my um my higher ed, I I pursued something that I, that I started studying in Bible college with a professor um philosophy and uh got my PhD in that from the University of California Irvine. And soon after I started working on my PhD, I was walking across campus one day and I said to myself, there's no God. And uh, from that point forward for 25 years, that was my stance. You know, that sounds very similar to, to many atheists I know who were raised. So typically you're, you're definitely atypical for this show because typically an atheist, either an atheist will come on and say, my parents never even told me about religion I never believed it. And then when I was 14, someone tried to get me to go to church and I went, what's this? This is nonsense. And I never believed. And they're still an atheist to this day. Or you find the person who was raised a very staunch believer and then went the path of ministry, educated themselves on the ideals and went, ah, there's no way this is true. Especially when they start getting into how the Bible was put together, the different translations, the translation errors, the mm -hmm. human interaction with the Bible. They go, there's no way to know what God really meant. And even if they're spiritual, they go, it's probably not the Christian God. And I can't trust these people to, to translate this data. And if God really wanted me to know, there would be more perfect and personal revelation. And so then they start on their path, like you said, of becoming agnostic, and then ultimately, um, usually within an atheist movement, either hosting a podcast, doing a YouTube show, <laughs> or, or out there doing debates with people. Um, yep. But you, being raised as a Christian, coming out of that world, finding atheism, and then going back to Christianity, I am so looking forward to this conversation because that's a fascinating viewpoint. Now... Before I, I really tend to think of atheism as one of the one of the clearest paths to God. I really believe that. 
Um, really? I because I, I've always I've seeking. always thought Christianity was a clear path to atheism. <laughs> <laughs> of course. We're on opposite sides. Yeah, that's right. yeah. I didn't know that you were an atheist before we started. I assumed that probably was the case. Oh, okay. Because of the, the, the little bit that I saw on YouTube that I had a chance. Yeah, you really did respond, like you said in your introduction there. You responded quickly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I would have gotten back to you more quickly if you're if it hadn't gone into the spam folder, which kind of was frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, it's not your fault. <laughs> no, no, I mean because you you filled out a form, so yeah. I got the email instantly, and then when I replied, your email was like, "Who the hell is this guy?" and just <laughs> stuffed me in the junk. Um, so so take so let's start here. So so when you when you were a believer, take me through a couple of the few things that started to shake your faith the first time. Um. As I said, the thing that I think, and you know, people ask me this all the time. So this is, it's a psycho self psychoanalysis, and you're trying to figure out all of your motivations, and that really is a, a lost cause because we are we are a morass uh, um, covered over with with this 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 ego, this self ego. Um, what, what Freud talks about is the ego, the 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 surface consciousness. And there's all of these other things underneath us, our motivations, and some of them we're in touch with, some of them we're not. So I do my best to try to sort it out. But I think for me, if I were to try to pinpoint it, the issue became one of, I had real questions and the answers I got from people in authority in, in the Christian church and my college professors weren't satisfying me. Um, they, they seemed, they were canned answers. They were pat. They weren't thoroughly thought out. And I wanted something more robust. I wanted to know and not believe. And I started to get the feeling as I was moving through the four years of Bible college that I was doing all of this to convince myself it was true rather than really believing it was true. And so I had a whole host of doubts and the doubts were never adequately for me addressed. Then again, I'm a, I'm a pretty deeply introspective person. So uh, I tend to not easily accept an answer from an authority just because they're an authority. And I like to probe things for myself. And so I guess almost by my very constitution, uh, I am a questioner who doesn't just accept the doctrines that are handed to me unless I can sort of see the structure and put it together myself and understand all the things. So philosophy became a way for me to try to answer those questions. And science became for me the way in which those questions were answered. And I sort of glommed onto those two and said, this is how I will go the rest of my life. I will seek knowledge. I will seek truth. And I will go wherever it takes me. And if that means I have to give up this Christian faith, then bye. Because truth is more important to me than holding on to something that's not true because it makes me feel good or it makes other people feel good. Yeah. I mean, so far, we're, we're right on track. Um, so do, do you not recall, cause most atheists, uh, will recall at least one or two, the first few moments that started to crack. We all know that this tends to be a very long process. 
a sort of um, a deconversion, if you will, or an unraveling slowly because because you have the faith that you were taught or indoctrinated with, and then there is this emotional connection to it, right? There is this um, there's this emotional bond. Like right. there there were for years, I was calling myself an atheist, but I would hear another atheist say something very insulting about Jesus or God, and I would cringe a little inside because I and I didn't know why. Like I don't even believe that God exists, but it it hurt my feelings somehow. And I realized it was because of how I was raised. I, I had put God and Jesus on such a pedestal at such a you know uh, uh, time in which my morality was forming that uh, someone speaking bad about that creator was just appalling to me, even though I didn't believe that creator existed. So um, a lot of times it's a very long process, but usually atheists can can pinpoint one or two things where they go, wait a minute, there's this one thing. Like for me, it was... It was, how does killing the innocent pardon the guilty? It was killing Jesus lets everybody off who is being, who, who's, who is behaving abhorrently. That didn't make sense. It didn't make sense that, that, that God would quote unquote, give his only begotten son, yet also still be with his son today in heaven. Um, what was the sacrifice? That kind of ran through my head. And uh, and then, I, of course, I, I I questioned things in the Old Testament. I questioned the the slavery aspect, and then from then on, it became about the problem of evil. Essentially, it was you know yeah. divine hiddenness. Yeah. Why isn't God showing Himself? Why isn't He fixing this? Why isn't He helping these poor children with cancer? And then it just unraveled. But I remember my first few things going. Wait, is Jesus the Son of God or God incarnate? Because the Bible kind of says both. And there are people who call themselves Christians who disagree on this very basic fact about Jesus, whether he is God or is the Son of God, and they fight each other. The Pentecostals and the Baptists will obviously disagree on this type of thing. And so uh, do you recall one or two of the first few things that was just sort of a hairline crack in your faith? Oh, Old Testament, for me, the sacrificial system, uh, even to this day, when I look at the sacrificial system. I think to myself, I think I might have been able to do a better job than that. If God made that, that seems that there's something wrong with that. And um, well, what type of God would make that kind of a system? So yeah, yeah there, and the, you know the the um, the discrepancies in the Bible, I think they're way overblown, but there are things there. Um, and so, you know, I grew up with this notion of inerrancy mm. and in, in of, you know, I guess I should explain that to, to those who are less technical, the, the inerrancy, the inerrancy of the Bible, like this, this book we have in front of us has no errors in it, but that seems patently ridiculous. There is nothing that is human in origin that doesn't have errors in it. And so it's like, you're, you're claiming things here that don't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. And well, that's so, the thing. They you know, most of them don't believe that it is human in origin. And I think that's part of the problem. I think it was literally dictated by God and they just don't understand how the Bible was compiled. And once yeah, I once I started look. right, once I started you know, what one of my quotes that got passed around for quite a while was um how can how can we be told that all humans are sinners, yet be told to trust these sinners to deliver the perfect word of God? I mean, if these people are broken and, and fallible humans, why are they responsible for delivering the perfect word of God to people who, you know, if you get the wrong answer, you burn in hell for eternity? Like, this sounds like a really 
twisted and wicked game, you know? It's it's not even, I mean, it's even worse than that because even if you take the view that the writers of the Bible got it all exactly right, <laughs> human language is flawed. So there are going to be errors in interpretation. There are going to be errors in transmission. There are going to be errors uh, in transcribing. So it's silly to look at the text today and think of it in that way. Yeah, that's Um, a great point. Which doesn't mean it's not the word of God. It just means you need to adjust your understanding of what it means to say it's the word of God. And that some doctrines like inerrancy, excuse me, have to be looked at a little bit more carefully or maybe less carefully. Um, yeah, I'll say that your your comment about the the sacrificial system, I'll say, is is probably that at the forefront of most people's um, hairline crack in their faith. A, a lot mm-hmm. of times, they will mention something like that, and yeah, I found myself before speaking with with a fundamentalist who would say um, something about God loving us, God loving all people, and. I would inevitably bring up uh, the testing of Abraham in Genesis 22. And I would bring it up how God told um, uh, Abraham to kill his son Isaac. And I would start to tell the story. They would interrupt me and go, yeah, yeah, but then the Lord, an angel of the Lord appeared and said, don't do it. And that's where they wanted to stop thinking about it. And I would go, yeah, but first of all, you do know he told him to kill his son so that I know, right? <laughs> yeah. So that I know you love me, as if God has missing knowledge, first of all. Let's deal with that philosophical conundrum. God has to tell you to do something to prove something to him that he isn't sure of. So now he's running yep. scientific experiments on us because he doesn't know something. That calls into question how God can be all-knowing and yet be missing information. Um, one, that, one thing. The second thing, are we going to be concerned with the mental health of Isaac? He's being strapped down and being, you know, a knife wielded over his chest by his father has no idea what's going on. And at the last moment, they're like, okay, 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 that was just a test. Just K, you know, JK, bro, JK, uh, don't don't stab your son in the chest. Uh, now I know that you love me, so you don't have to do it. But then there's exactly. the other part that people don't want to talk about, which is the last line says, and then Abraham found a ram caught in the thicket and use that as the sacrifice, as if that's the happy ending. That's still animal sacrifice. <laughs> you still went and killed a ram, which most Christians today would would classify that as some symbolism of being satanic. That if you're sacrificing a ram or sacrificing a goat of some sort, any sort of animal sacrifice would be considered satanic. Yet one of the most miraculous stories in the Bible uh, uh, the happy the happy ending is oh good we only have to kill a ram instead of this this young boy and so uh, you're right that that sacrificial system is throughout the Bible including with Jesus and is very disturbing it's very disturbing and certainly seems like a system that wouldn't need to be put into place if God were all powerful because it 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 suggests that there must be a prerequisite for Him to do His powers. Yeah, I mean that's you're 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 hitting on all of the things. <clears throat> Sorry, um, that was what that was what 
drove me away too. The question, the, the question of evil, right? The existence of evil. Um, and it, it's one that faith traditions all across the world have to deal with. It is the fundamental issue. It's, a, it's the best argument for atheism, for sure. Um, there's, and there's no way of getting away with it. And for me, when I got the types of answers like you're talking about here, when I would ask questions like that, it was like, okay, so if that's the best you can do and you don't want me to probe any further, then um, this isn't making any sense to me. And so that was it. Well, I, I have said, to say, okay, you, if, if I can't find the truth, I'm done. Yeah. I mean, the, the majority of people who've emailed me over the last uh, 12 to, I guess now 13 years, it's going to be hard for me to get used to saying that. Um, the, whenever they've talked about how my show sort of helped deconvert them or they lost their faith listening to my show, it's rarely something I said that did it. It's what my guest didn't say, right? They would say exactly what you just said. I was listening I've always had the question you you had as well. You asked the question the way I've always wanted someone to ask it, and that Christian's answer fell short for me. Yep. I haven't. My pastor failed to answer, failed to satis satisfy is really where they get to. They're like, I just, I can't find satisfaction on this point. And they don't just, their faith doesn't crumble under one question, but yep. that is the hairline crack. And then they go, wait, what about this? And what about this? And then Christian after Christian would come on here and fail to satisfy their answers. And the person would eventually go, you know what? If these people are lining up one after one to come on and they can't really answer these basic questions, my pastor can't answer it. My preachers and deacons can't answer it. My husband or wife can't answer it. Why am I pretending to believe this? And what you said, I think is very poignant. You said it felt like you were trying to convince yourself to believe instead of just yep. knowing something. And yep. that, that phrasing right there, the moment I was baptized, and this is why I have a book, uh, and this is why I called my book Baptized Atheist, because the moment I was baptized, the, that's like I say that the preacher must have seen the doubt in my face because he leans in, into my ear and he says, you know, son, you can't just say you believe, you have to know it to be true in your heart. And I immediately separated knowledge from belief in that moment and went, <laughs> I do not know. So I just got baptized and now I have imposter syndrome. I feel fake. And so I want to go on a mission to confirm my faith by reading the Bible, talking with theology professors, and getting rid of all this doubt so that I can know it to be true in my heart and help yeah. and help save millions and of Christians who are also is, also doubting. No, and and that that journey is is how my faith fell apart because I was I was analyzing it, you know, logistically. Right. Well, where I turned was philosophy. Right. And I started teaching philosophy after I, I came out of my uh, time at U University of California, Irvine. I started teaching philosophy full time at East Stroudsburg University of Pennsylvania. And I taught intro to philosophy for, oh, I don't know, six, seven years running and four sections every semester. So that was eight sections every year. So I taught this same course over and over and over again. And I started teaching it not liking Socrates. Okay. So my course essentially oh, wow. was a course on early Greek philosophy. Um, it, it, it talked about philosophy later, but it, it essentially concentrated on early Greek philosophy and Plato's Republic. Okay. Um, but one of the characters in Plato, of course, is Socrates. 
And one of the central issues for Socrates is that human beings are fundamentally ignorant creatures. We don't know diddly squat. We know next to nothing. Now, I know I'm sitting here talking to you. Um, the philosopher um, Immanuel Kant, one, I, don't know if, <laughs> I have no idea what your philosophy background is. Um, but Immanuel Kant said, uh, and this is kind of like the, the, the end of the Enlightenment, said that knowledge is when our concept concepts, our rational concepts, are instantiated in the empirical world. So I can know that I'm sitting here talking to you. I can't be absolutely certain that you're out there, but I hear your voice. So that's pretty clear. Um, but I, I can't know that for sure. But I know I'm sitting here. I know my wife's sitting here beside me. I just put my hand on her knee. Right? I know that because it's, it's all coming to me through my senses directly. I've got it. Now, of course, that is also subject to doubt, right? Sure. Because we know the Matrix movie. Well, and, and we've, all seen, we've all seen water on a dry road as well. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And, and by so, the way, and as we continue to evolve as a species and technology takes the forefront in our lives, this is, this is only going to become a, a, a more difficult problem because th there's no doubt that for, for maybe 10 or 15 seconds, I could have been AI and you wouldn't have been able to tell the difference, yep. right? Maybe, maybe 30 minutes in, you'd be able to tell, but in 20 years, you may not, right? Th there may be AI that could carry on a conversation with you for an hour without you realizing you were talking with artificial intelligence, yep. right? So as, <laughs> so now you're saying, I, I hear your voice. I know I'm talking to you. Maybe you are, maybe you're not. This is only good. We're going to somehow know less as we, ev <laughs> as we evolve more. Does, does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I think we're on a bad path. I do. Um, but my, my central point there is that we are fundamentally ignorant creatures. We know next to nothing. In other words, we live our lives on faith. We take a stand on something we think to be true, and then we move forward on it. That's the best we can do. And it actually mirrors the scientific method. Because good scientists will tell you, look, this is how we think it is. And experiment has proven it again and again and again. And the, the word proven is, is often badly used. But it's just showing over and over again, this seems to be the right answer. But as we get deeper and we probe more, we find that it wasn't exactly the right answer. And we start coming up with a new idea, trying to figure out what it is. And then that too, we find out, even if we're sort of slowly approaching it, as in, I don't know if you know about mathematics, like the asymptote, right? We're getting ever closer to, to the mystery that's out there. Well, God is the mystery. And God is never fully revealed. And that is the, what, what lies at the fundamental basis of human rationality. And so we're getting to what it is that finally brought me around again. For me, all that I loved in this world as a philosopher was the rational, the philosophic, the scientific. And it turned out, the more I investigated, the more I tried to justify my atheism, the more I discovered that there is no way to trust the rational structures without putting some faith in the mystery. 
So, and so my initial conversion was a conversion back to theism. So, and so theism hold on. then collapsed into Christianity. So translation, you met a beautiful woman and she took you to church. <laughs> right? You did listen to my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> there is there is truth that did you listen no i didn't i just took okay, a guess so that because actually it's true my, fig- my wife figured, jenny yeah. was a huge part of yeah. my coming back that's for sure okay because she allowed me to re-mystify the world i am a christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist i don't want to believe anything that isn't true I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.